This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky, wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. Mandroid. Personality. Scientist. Ninja. Hold on. They are about to embark on the most perilous journey anyone has ever undertaken. And when they reach their destination, they face the most awesome power on Earth. Each one is the ultimate specialist. Together they are the Illuminators. Starts next Friday in a theater near you. Check newspapers for showtime. Alrighty, folks, and welcome once again to Cinema Degeneration's Howling at the Full Moon, and we got a real treat for you this evening. We are giving you a throwback to the good old Empire Pictures days with Eliminators from 1986, and not to be confused with uh, the Eliminators that came out in the 2000s or the, you know, there's a couple other titles, but this is from 1986. Directed by Peter Manugian, starring Andrew Prine, Dennis Crosby, Denise Crosby, Dennis, Denise Crosby, <laughs> and Patrick Reynolds. And uh, joining me this evening, as usual, is my usual cohort in crime, Dustin Hubbard. How are we doing? Hey, great. Glad to be back to talk about this one. Yeah, this is one of the... The, the select few of Empire Pictures we've done. We haven't really delved into the Empire Pictures days stuff much, but I thought it was high time, considering uh, you know Andrew Prine has passed away here in the last year or so, so it seemed about the right time to kind of delve back into the old days. Yep, and it's a good one to talk about, too, because it's one that's... It's a really good movie, but it's one that doesn't get as much credit or respect as a lot of the other more commonly known Empire titles. Yeah, you don't ever hear this mentioned in, with like in the same breath as uh, you know, Reanimator and, and the likes of that. That it's you know, it's 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 not Stuart Gordon affair, but it's it's still pretty damn good. And I got to read. I'm looking at the poster art here. I will get into the IMDb synopsis here in a minute, but I love the 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 advert there where it says mandroid mercenary scientists ninja each one a specialist together they are the eliminators <laughs> and they're never called eliminators once in the movie 
Nope. It's just like it's kind of a throwaway title. It's kind of like it's like another movie I love so much. That's not a full moon title, but you know, split second with Rucker Howard. It's just like it has one of those kind of generic science fiction actiony titles that doesn't really pertain to the movie itself, but it sounds good on paper. Yeah, it just sounds good. It, it has no relevance whatsoever. It's just made to like move units and sell tickets. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And it and it does it, it you know this has got a quite the cult following I mean all things considered you know uh, it's 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 it was a real fun watch I bet it had probably been twelve maybe thirteen years since I had seen this I was in my early thirties the last time I watched this and it did not disappoint I didn't remember it being so action packed I didn't remember it being so fast paced and so much fucking fun now that being said it's not a great movie per se. You know, it's not, it's a good movie. You know, it's a difference between a good movie and a great movie. It's a good movie, but it's it's one of those that's so goddamn bad it's good. It's so batshit crazy that it's, I don't know how anybody could watch this movie and not have a fun time. Yeah, there's, it's a, it's a pretty off the wall, all over the place movie. <laughs> like you were saying off air, like, but like the movie starts and it feels like so much has already happened and you're just kind of dropped right into the middle of, all the chaos <laughs> so right. kind of like i like i've said to you in the past it kind of reminds me of watching anime it doesn't matter what i watch i can start and watch a movie from scratch or start a, a sh- anime show from scratch and it just immediately feels like i've missed a couple of years worth of content because <laughs> of of ideas and things that are going on in the world and there's so much going on in eliminators before the first frame of film even starts <laughs> Yeah, so it, it feels like at least the second movie out of a trilogy, you know, at the very least, it's just like, wait a minute, like I've missed some shit here. Totally. You could you could honestly have made a prequel to this movie to uh, to almost tell the story of everything that was already going on. There was there's it feels like there's that much that was already happening. So, well, when, you know, get that interesting opening credit sequence and, uh, you know, it's. It's a lot going on in those opening moments where you get the mandroid outfit is, is you know, uh, it, I got to make a comment here right off the bat. It The mandroid outfit is somewhat clunky, you yeah. know, to for him to move around in. But, I mean, think about, like, all the even RoboCop, you know, which this is heavily in the vein of a little bit of RoboCop, a little bit of uh, Terminator, a whole lot of Star Wars. But, like, yeah. the, the, the outfit is clunky to move around in. You know, it's, it's hell for an actor, I think, to yeah. get, be mobile and something like that. But it looks good at the same time. It's a little clunky, but it looks great. And I, I have to interject that this movie did predate RoboCop as well, so. I looked that up. I, I, I noticed that it predated it by about a year. So I kind of wonder if uh, they borrowed a little bit from this, you know? Yep, and it wouldn't be the, well, it could be an early first time of someone probably nipping at Mr. Band's concepts, but uh, <laughs> it's definitely yeah, sus. Yeah, it's a little sus. It's a little sus. But I, I think we need to, to mention, if we haven't already, I, I, uh, Peter Manugian directed this, who so he was uh, a steady director for Full Moon and Empire for a while. He did Arena, uh, Dust. Dungeon Master, Demonic Toys, and, you know, I mean, that right there cemented him in, in full moon lore. And we also get a returning uh, uh, 
demonic toys uh, actor. We got our good boy Sharnetsky by uh, Mr. Shrum. Mr. Uh, <clears throat> Peter Shrum comes back for for uh, you know another full moon outing. He would he would have been in Demonic Toys. You know, Sharnetsky is. I just know him as Sharnetsky. I, I I didn't even call him Ray in this. I just call him Sharnetsky. Yeah, he's always literally will always be Charnitsky to me, no matter what. But uh, secondly, he's he's Trancer Santa. Tra- oh, so. yep, Trancer Santa, <laughs> which <laughs> cements the idea that Trancers is yes, indeed, a fucking Christmas movie. Yes, technically, yeah, it's technically the Twelve Slays of Christmas is not the first Christmas movie that Charles Band has made. So. <laughs> It's I don't know when people always have those debates of whether or not Die Hard or Leave the Weapon is a Christmas movie. I'm like over here just going, what about Trancers, though? Yeah, I mean, they take place during the season. So technically, yeah, I mean, Trancers is as much of a Christmas movie as like as Die Hard is. So, you know, I mean, hell, at least in Trancers, somebody gets a gift, you know, I mean, what yep. the fuck? <laughs> and we have Santa. So, yeah, yeah, we get we get an evil Christmas Santa. <clears throat> But uh, let me go ahead before we get off to on too much of a rant here. I'll give mm-hmm. the quick IMDb synopsis, which is as follows. All right. Eliminators, 1986. A former pilot rebels against his creator, teaming up with the scientists responsible for Android technology, her pet robot spot, a rough and tumble riverboat guide and a martial arts warrior. And I feel like that right there tells you the kind of ride that you're fucking in for. But at the same time, tells you nothing about like the craziness that you're about to see when you watch this movie you know and i have to interject the very uh vague description there with a former pilot rebels against his creator the creator built a pilot (laughs) (laughs) what he built like it just makes it sound like he built a pilot a pilot Yeah, it, it's very vague. But then again, some a lot of these IMDb synopses are are a little bit cutthroat. You know? it's more specific than some of the previous synopses of movies we've covered. So, yep, yep, yep. I, I would agree with that. Pa- but Patrick Reynolds would play our pilot, aka the Mandroid. Uh, no relation to the um, the Mandroid movie that would come out, but about almost a decade later. Uh, roughly about. Seven, seven years. Seven years. Yeah, the concept of the Mandroid would be kind of face lifted a bit for its own uh, standalone film, called obviously called Mandroid from Full Moon Entertainment. Uh, just instead of it being a full on uh, kind of cyborg android, you know, human robot hybrid, it's just a robotic uh, entity that is piloted by a human mind so so you know in the same vein but not really not not the first time either that that concepts like this would later be sort of facelifted and revised into later full moon entertainment films either especially from the the bilson de mayo well as well because they had um uh, Empire was going to do the Decapitron feature film, which oh. was, you know, Decapitron was going to be its own standalone film uh, for theatrical in the 80s. Uh, the tagline was the the devastation creation 
And the original decapitron in the script was going to have, I believe, five heads. Oh, God and, damn. <laughs> yeah, the movie itself never, and I, I believe that it was akin to something like Mandarin. I believe it was a going to be a full-sized entity. Uh, but the movie itself never got off the ground for uh, different reasons. But then they would obviously take the decapitron idea and be like, yo, this is a, this is a Toulon puppet. It's like the special puppet no one's ever seen. <laughs> and instead of him having five heads, he only has three. Because when you have a stop motion puppet that has to move his fucking heads around, you know, and he's, he, I don't know, he's got to have help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> heads on his own, it became real awkward. And I think uh, it was a cool idea. But there's a reason why Decaptron only appeared in parts four and five. So... Yeah, that might be the reason why we didn't see much more, much more of uh, old Capitron. Makes sense. Yeah, but they, but they, if there's a, a concept that hasn't been fully, fully tapped, like Charles Band will not hesitate, as as any good producer should. You know, uh, you gotta take that stuff and sort of make it, make it new. So uh, clearly, sadly, we didn't get any sequels to the Eliminators, which could have been pretty amazing if we did. But uh, at least we still got kind of a weird other life for the Mandroid. But in a lot of ways, the Mandroid in this movie is way cooler because I said it before and I'll say it again. I I love I love shit on tank treads. (laughs) So the 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 visual of the actor at like attached like with his torso just kind of coming out of it and like very awkwardly sized like gigantic tank <laughs> right i thought it was 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 awkward and large as the kind of uh, words that i was looking for to describe it as well very, yeah very not conspicuous and um yeah so but you know it is what it is and a cool thing and we get Most of the tank, uh, the tank tread action is in the beginning. It does pop back up briefly at the end, but uh, you know, I, I like the mobile unit. You know, uh, yeah, it's great. But they just—they didn't use it enough. It was cool looking, and apparently, uh, director Manugian was a big fan of the of the 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 mobile tank unit. He was not a big fan, however, of Spot the robot. I yeah I you know I I'd be a big fan of the mobile unit too because I love that stuff it goes into the full moon days too I love like Tank the puppet from Curse of the Puppet Master I love Blitzkrieg and the the Axis trilogy little you know tank tread robot but and Spot's kind of lame yeah the effects with Spot are very it's, I don't know he's just he's the best. I mean, it's it's cute. Whatever I guess it's supposed to be like a low key like R two D two ripoff, but he's just kind of dorky. He just looks like a <laughs> like a big coffee can painted like camo. <laughs> yeah, can, when like, they go and paint him camouflage in the middle yeah. of it, and you can always tell that he's literally like somehow just like mounted on Patrick Reynolds' shoulder <laughs> for numerous shots <laughs> because he's just like awkwardly just kind of like floating right behind there. So, which seems kind of random when he's like, "Why does he do that?" And it's like, "Oh, he he likes you or something." And I'm like, 
why does he do what? He just did it. It's not like it's like he's been doing it. I I don't think. But uh, right, right. No, but I mean uh, it's it's an interesting concept, I guess. But just kind of silly. I don't know. I guess that's probably you know goes into more of the you know I've heard people say full moon movies are like you know horror movies for you know adult kids kind of thing. I guess. You know, the yeah, idea. They, they are. And I, I, I don't mind them describing them that yeah. way because I'm a big kid at heart. So that's why I love films. Yeah, Spot's kind of like, I guess, a, you know, kind of like a, a childlike sort of creation. In my mind, it seems like something that children would find cute. But then it's like, well, you're not probably not going to show your kid this movie. I mean, you could, I guess. It's, it was it is PG, PG, I believe. It was PG, even though it does. We do have some Denise uh, Crosby breast action through her wet T-shirt at one point. And, then and, there's the side, of, and there's the side boob sequence as well. Yeah. And there's a lot of shooting and, I mean, killing. But, I mean, nothing, nothing super graphic, though. So Yeah, I mean, like, most of the, the, the shootings and the killings are done very much in a, a G.I. Joe slash, you know, a team kind of mode where explosions happened and there's a lot of springboard action and people getting catapulted through the air, which I'm fine for, you know, you know, go, going into it, you notice it's PG is PG. So you know what you're in for. You're not going to see a bunch of big bloody squibs and whatnot. It feels very stagey in some moments. Like you're like at the, you know, it feels like, you know, those, uh, but they used to have like those universal, pictures you know universal studios like action stunt show kind of things you know, oh, yeah oh like yeah flipping through the air and explosions and shit everything feels very kind of like cartoonishly stagey like that so i mean it feels not always you know real or serious but it, it adds kind of just a sort of light-hearted you know vibe to it that you know it's not it's not mean-spirited and it's it's all in good fun so and it is fun. Yeah, yeah. Because even when they get to the point we're jumping all over the place here, but that's all right. But like when they get to the Neanderthals that are, you know, hinted towards that they're cannibals, they never really eat anybody. The most blood you see is when you see the, the the torn apart jaguar that they leave behind. They never even state how or why they're there. No, no. They're just, they're just there. It, which also I'll kind of reach here too. It kind of seems like early they didn't really expound on it any, but I feel like it kind of is some early Josh Kirby time warrior type stuff, wherein that they're kind of going up and down the time stream, as they would call it, and that, and as they do it, um, the time the time stream gets sort of all flubbed up, and entities and things from different time periods would get jumbled around and nothing was lined up the way it should along the timeline it's kind of the way it felt like maybe with abbott the the villain guy abbott reeves constantly going back and forth or sending mandroid back and forth that maybe he sort of flubbed up the timeline and some stuff got sort of mixed up but they don't really talk about it it's just there well, it, it's it's the one kind of um, sin this mo- movie commits, you know, and you won't hear me say this often because most of the time I'll complain if a movie is slow in parts. But there's some point, points in this where I feel like it needs to slow down just a little bit and let you, you yeah. know, 
It's just like it's moving too fast. Like when yeah, we get in the beginning here, it's like, what the hell are we doing? We're all like on the set of, you know, a time travel RoboCop Terminator spinoff or ripoff. And all of a sudden there's just clips of, you know, gladiators from the set of Meet, Meet the Spartans or something. And it was like, wait a minute, what the hell's going on? Like it's a, like you said, it was like turning into uh, the third season of, a, of an anime show when you have not seen seasons one and two. Yeah, there's just it's there's such a bonkers amount of stuff going on. But, you know, like I said, that it it definitely makes for a not boring view because this this is it, it goes to say too, this is a fairly long film in Charles Band's filmography too, because it's like 90, 95, 96 minutes, which is really long for an empire or full moon movie. And but it trucks along, man. <laughs> like, doesn't really give you a lot of answers along the journey, but like, it it doesn't stop or give you a lot of time to catch your breath at points. So, but that's fine. Because uh, since we kind of jumped all over the place a little bit, but like at the beginning of this movie, when we get the little meet the Spartans segment, you know, as I call it, you know, like where he you get these extras from Gladiator show up, and the Mandroid brings back. You know, a shield, a golden shield from the ancient, you know, Roman days, and the, the evil Doctor Reeves, who was played by Roy, Roy uh, Dotris or Dotris, I think is that how you pronounce his name. Yeah, Roy yeah. Dotris. <laughs> Dotris. Yeah, 133 credits. Game of Thrones, Hellboy, amongst like 130 uh, others. He's great in this and not really used a lot. He's uh, used very little. He's used basically the book in the movie. Yeah, he's you know? literally in the opening, and then he comes back when they finally get back to the fortress at the end. He's literally in like two major sequences. Yeah, and like sprinkled in the middle where he like uh, tortures his, you know, Peter Shrum that plays Ray. I always want to say Shrenetsky, but it, 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 that's mm-hmm. why I was. I, I actually, in my notes, several times have him down as Shrenetsky every, every fucking time. But anyway, he comes back, he gets the shield, and he's like, all right, I have no further use for the Mandroid. Dismantle him. The Doc has, like, it, it even uh, Takata says the same thing. He's like, you have no compassion. You know, he's part human. It's like, ah, he's just a, he's just a robot. Bring me his memory and, you know, and t- you know, take care of it. Dismantle it. Of course, Takata is, in quote, air quotes here that I'm using that you can't see, you know, is known as the only friend that the Mandroid has. Yeah. Or John Doe, as they call him, because they just call him John. They never really find out his name. They never find out where he's from. They find out that he had a wife and a kid somewhere, but they, they abandon that shit real quick. But uh, yeah. Which I, I found interesting. They went through that whole sequence of, like, later on, and I were, again, we're jumping around here, but when uh, Nora, yeah, that Denise Crosby plays, uh, you know, the colonel, the scientist, you know, goes into the wreckage of the plane to get that, you know, any kind of information that she can. She almost dies, almost drowns as a big sequence of them trying to save her just to abandon that. Like they never explored like, yeah. wouldn't you want to know who your wife and kid was? I mean, I, I don't there, know. You know. I'll point out another thing. Like when, when John Doe finally like finds Nora and he is explaining, you know, where he came from and stuff. And she's like, Abbott, Abbott Reeves is dead. <laughs> and he's You're like, right. not. He's he's still doing this stuff here and he's done this. And basically, like, uh, you know, surprise all your 
tech and patents and everything that you've perfected, he's stolen and he's using for his own nefarious reasons. And it's like, okay, well, how did he die? Like, how, like, what happened beforehand that she was under the impression that he had been long since dead? Because he's obviously been operating uh, under, you know, secretive means for a long time if he's been doing this. Well, he's he's been operating out of the Batcave, so to speak, you know, but he's obviously messed up. He's been burned. He's all scarred up on the one side. His eyes all leaky. So, like, something happened to him, but we never. There's some kind of insane shit that happened to him because he's all jacked up and he's having to do, like, grafts and shit to, like, repair his skin and stuff. But they never say. He kind of, truthfully, as a villain, he sort of reminds me of, um the villain that would end up being the main the main villain over the two mandroid films in the 90s um because dr drago i believe was his name uh he was a scientist who was involved in a project he double crosses his partner and oh, then that's right he does doesn't he yeah yeah he blows up in his face yeah burns his face up and they keep him kind of under wraps for the majority of the first movie after the accident until the very, you know, final moment before the credits, I think. And then he unmasks himself and he's like all bloated and disfigured. And then in part two, he's like that, but then he kind of puts on like a phantom of the opera kind of mask, but they, they, in the Mandroid film and it's sequel invisible, they do do that kind of like lead villain that's, Got this, like, you know, scientific double cross and then disfigurement thing going on. So it's, there's a lot more, <laughs> a lot more comparable between those movies than I realize now that I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we need to do uh, Mandroid as a follow up and co- do some comparisons. Yeah, Mandroid's a great movie. I haven't, there's another one I haven't seen in years. I'm all for it and it falls yeah. within the criteria. So, yeah, yeah, we'll have to do that. But, uh, yeah, Takata doesn't live long. He gets shot in the crossfire after, you know, uh, our Mandroid says, I'll need my mobile unit and praise Crumb that they, (laughs) thank God that they did use that mobile unit because that was the highlight of the movie. That opening 10 minutes, that and the performance by Andrew Prine as Harry Fontana is like the two reasons to show up for this movie, I think. That's just my opinion. Opening action stuff with the Mandroid too, like I, I said, like the size of it is so uncommonly awkward. I mean, it's a tank, fine, it's huge, but it's like it feels way larger to it than need be to attach a human torso to. And there are those shots where they have the actor at, like clearly, it's got to be the actor or a stunt person or something attached to it, and it's like rolling down staircases and stuff. And I'm like. Fuck, that looks so dangerous. Like, how how did they not know that that wasn't going to just, like, flip over and smash the actor? Like, yeah, was, and that like, thing looked like it was heavy as fuck. Very you know, like, yeah. that thing would have crushed him. And I'm sure that's probably why it's only used in the opening and then briefly towards the end, because it probably was very difficult to, to operate, I would imagine. And I'm so. sure it was done by, like, some sort of remote control, and the actor had no control over it, because he... He, he 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 does his best. Patrick Reynolds does his best to to look, you know, like a bad motherfucker while he's riding this thing. But he looks scared as shit. And I would be too. I would be. I would be so unsure that I'd be like, oh yeah, you say it's safe, but is it really? You know, yeah, you I, got whisked away to some weird shoot, weird low budget shoot in like what Spain, I believe. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. 
make this movie and they're like, here, we're going to attach you to this big, heavy-ass piece of machinery and roll you around, I'd be worried, too. <laughs> right. Yeah, but the Mandroid, he, he rolls around in this ancient-looking place, and there's a lot of random soldiers and cut-off denim. I noticed that a lot of sleeveless shirts and cut-off denim. Until our boy uh, Peter Strum, his Ray, shows up with a high-powered rifle that takes out uh, uh, the Mandroid's laser arm. Who He does in turns. He trades the laser arm for a rocket launcher arm. So it's like, to me, it's kind of an upgrade. You know, it's like he didn't really, like, lose much in the way of firepower. Yeah, lasers are cool, but, you know, like a rocket launcher, you know, you can shoot, like, torpedoes and shit with, like, like he does in the water later. That's feels far more effective. So. Right, right, right. Because he takes out that whole wall and just drives himself right out. And then just all of a sudden, for no reason, just we, we don't even realize it till this point, like... Like he's his legs are just disassembled, you know. He's just got the kind of easy snap on legs, and he kind of just walks his walks it off like he's a little stiff, like you know, yep. like that first few minutes in the morning where you're walking around, your knees are popping. And so it's a short run on the Mandroid tank, and really, other than that opening twelve minutes, it's not used in, again until very very briefly at the end. And but he follows uh, Takata's. Uh, directions he goes and hunts down the colonel colonel nora hunter and i i love how we're introduced to denise crosby crosby as nora hunter when she's like trying to uh command spot the robot you know and i you gotta love and it just goes beep boop beep and then yeah blips around the room for no reason right. doing absolutely nothing <laughs> like yeah like why did it need to like, even bounce around the room or bounce around the area it made no sense but it was fun I mean, to watch doesn't she say at one point that it's like a like i don't remember what spot stood for but it's something to do with matter transfer or something like you can like teleport i guess oh i wrote it down yeah. in my notes here but i don't remember what spot stood for Search patrol operational technician, short for spot, but doesn't really doesn't really say much. No, not at all. It's 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 cool though. You know, it, it keeps it keeps all the twelve and thirteen year old kids in us happy. But uh, I got to say that one thing here: they got a real cracked security team at this place. Barely seen, and the chief is dead. He's just listening to his headphones. Dumbass dies. Dumbass. And meanwhile, we get our 14, the, 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 the security guard who looks like he's 14 years old getting KO'd with some leftover, like, you know, purple gas leftover from, like, Batman's utility belt. Like, it's always that kind of technology where, like, it's always something that sprays something directly into their face but doesn't affect the people around them. It's, yeah, it's fun. It, it's like something whole, that the Penguin would use. Yeah, that whole sequence is funny because the the second guard is really uh, junior high looking. He kind of reminds yeah. me like this. This will either mean something to you or not. He kind of reminds me of the nerdy guy that Marsha like goes out on a date with in the Brady Bunch movie. Charlie, he like oh, I've like, I've seen the movie. It's been a, a hot minute, but yeah, he looks like to me. He he looks like he's like sixteen. But then yeah, like yeah, the Mandarin shows up and he uses like the the quote-unquote knockout gas and i'm like that is a that is i was thinking it myself it's a very like batman tv show kind <laughs> of right it's like yeah he just kind of like shoots it out of his hand like like super villain style yeah yeah <laughs> it's like it's something that you would expect the penguin to use yeah totally and what about the mandroid's wonderful disguise 
a dusty old tarp and a fedora. Like that's that, which leaves he didn't even put any sunglasses on to cover up his glowing red eye. Now, as a very specific visual (laughs) approach, though, because that that image of him like wrapped in like the cape tarp thing with like just the friggin' fedora on is pretty hilarious. Yeah, it is. Uh, then we get our, our wonderful our exposition dump 101 where he finds out like, oh, this was all your work. And he's like, I don't remember. You know, he tells Nora that he doesn't remember much about his past. You know, he remembers that he was a pilot and he crashed and that was really about it. But she, you know, lets him in on the It's irrelevant. So. Right. Yeah. And then in the end, yeah, it all becomes becomes very irrelevant. But, you know, she knows Reeves. Reeves had just had, you know, destroyed her work. Not destroyed her work, but had stolen her work. And, but, you know, yeah, like you said, Reeves died five years ago. But wait, there's more. He's kept, kept alive with some sort of implants that are never... Skin grafts, but they never explain, like, why or how he's doing it or anything. <laughs> yeah. But I love in the exposition dump, he's like, oh, this is your work. You can practically see the look on the mandroid's face. Just like, oh, gee, thanks. You're the one that's responsible for this. Yep. But as he's going away, the the, the blow that Charnetsky slash Ray gave him to the head with that high-powered rifle is short-circuiting his cortex relay. I love when they use fancy terms that don't don't mean anything to one another, a cortex relay, you know. Science mumbo-jumbo dialogue. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Uh, it's so ridiculous, I love it. But she's like, oh, you're only going to be functioning with the human, human brain and not your robotic brain because they didn't fit him with very much memory. So he's kind of like Johnny Mnemonic, you know, like Keanu Reeves movie, which, you know, Reeves, Abbott Reeves, eh, you know, maybe, maybe, but uh, I, I just think now he's going to be only functioning with a human brain. That seems kind of inadequate. I would have just reloaded him up with like extra memory and had him running on both brains. It just, you know, this is me. But she yeah. says, you know, it's convenient, you know, because she says, you're going to need me, need me. I, you know, you need a full-time mechanic because he does the, you know, the whole manly thing. He's like, I don't need your help. I just, I got the information I need. I'm going to go kill Reeves. Yeah. But this, this this movie presents that approach a lot with, with the Nora character where, like, people don't want to trust her because she's a woman. And she's constantly yeah. like, yo, I'm, I'm a... I'm a smart woman. I'm I'm a tough, independent chick. I'm a scientist. <laughs> like, and she's I, a badass. Yeah, she's like, and she's they're constantly trying to cut her down, which I guess is a very '80s action movie thing to do. But it's she's an always, action movie trope to be yeah, misogynistic. I think you know, yeah, unfortunately, much like it, and it's. I don't think it's done. It's not done in a. It, again, it's not in a mean spirited way because even when Andrew Prine's doing like Andrew Prine's like. Even when he's being a scuzzball, like he's so charming, <laughs> you know, and he's got the he's got the smile on his face. And stuff. You know, you, you can't really like can't be, take him too serious and you can't be mad at him. Be mad at him because he's like it, even when he's being a douche, it's still kind of like playful and silly. I don't know. <laughs> like, but they do. Well, keep, they keep trying to like not trust her and she keeps having to like show them up. Well, and like when the two thugs show up and they're going to like, you know, they're going to uh, carjack him and everything. She gets out. She kicks the shit out of that first guy. Yep. The only time she really uh, to in memory that she has to have someone come to her her rescue is when she gets stuck in the plane when it's sinking. 
Right, Other, right. Like she, she's very self-sufficient on her own. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. the guy there. Yeah, Denise Crosby is a badass as Nora. She's the MVP here. To her and Andrew, uh, Andrew Prine is the true MVP. We'll, we'll get to him. He's he's coming up pretty soon because you know they got to they got to go down to Mexico because there's what seventy miles I think they said of uncharted rivers and river yeah. bends up there to go through. So. You know, he's like, I can find my way there. But she's like, can you find your way back? So meanwhile, we're back to Mexico. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it just goes through the whole thing. Like, well, we need we need a boat. We need a guy. And he's like, no, we don't. Yeah, you do. Because we need Andrew fucking Prine to be here in this movie. And that's when we finally get to Andrew Prine at this little uh, Riverside bar. Because at that at this point we've had twenty two minutes of primeless action, so we, it's time we roll out the top build actor almost like a third of the way in. I find it remarkable that you marked down that it was twenty two minutes in before we got prime because I did the same thing in my notes. I wrote, marked down. Fine. I'm like twenty two minutes in. We finally get Andrew fucking prime. Same as I made a mental note that I think it was literally almost at about the hour mark when we finally got Kuji. The the fourth quote, <laughs> eliminator <laughs> like like Prine's not yeah. in the first third and Kuji is only in the last third so it's so weird you know what's even weirder I never knew this until I did my little bit of research that I did uh, earlier today I'm sure you know this uh, our our boy Tim Thomerson Jack Death was supposed to be uh, Harry Fontana the Andrew Prine's character but yeah. like for once. I'm not mad that this is a Tim Tomerless movie. Normally, I'd be like, oh, well, God, they should have given the part to Tim Thomerson, and he would have done great. I mean, Tim Thomerson is, is badass, but I kind of – I kind of – I'm not mad, though. I'm not mad that they put Andrew Prine in this because this is one of my favorite roles of his. Yeah, no, definitely. Andrew Prine is – dude, Andrew Prine was always, like, class. He He was – guys was just so fucking like talented and charismatic and so good and you know i love thomerson i'm always going to be like the freaking one <laughs> begging for more thomerson but i i stand firm with you i prime was the he was the choice that this movie needed it sadly yeah. it be remembered differently or more so maybe if it had been Thomerson because of his over overt connection to the overall, you know, full moon yeah. and empire legacy. I think that fans might remember and look back at this movie a bit more fondly if it had been Thomerson. But I, I honestly think that I think he could have done it. Tim oh Thomerson yeah. He could have done it. It just would have been a different take on it. It would have been a very Similar but different approach. I think Andrew Prine was definitely the the smarter choice. So I, one of the few instances you'll ever hear me say that I think yes, actually going with someone other than Tim was actually the the smart choice because Prine is actually one of the things that helps make this movie because it's oh, fully it, agree, like it, fully agree. It's bonkers and it like it's going full throttle like right from the freaking opening credits. But like he's one of the lively like like driving forces in this movie for me oh yeah yeah he's the reason to show up the, for this movie without a doubt absolutely but another reason to show up for this movie i'm gonna make a weird segue here peggy uh, mannix is bayou betty 
I, do you get the idea that Bayou Betty, when she shows up, do you get the idea that she doesn't like Harry a little bit? Do you get that idea? Because I got that idea. No, never. They're like uh, old compadres. <laughs> I guess we should tell the people home who maybe have not seen this movie and if you haven't we're ruining everything for you folks but like they're all smugglers they're all you know guides and they all gravitate towards this one bar and when denise crosby shows up when nora shows up she's like i need the toughest guide here betty doesn't wait she turns around and cole cocks her buddy maurice right in the face like doesn't hit yeah without harry fontana yeah without hesitation she just literally slugs her freaking partner (laughs) like and it just erupts into a full-blown bar fight. Everybody just explodes into action. And it's a great bar fight because this is my favorite scene with Prine. Because yeah. I love his acting chops here. You know, the way he's like, you know, because at first they say he doesn't drink, but then he takes a snarf off the bottle when they're trying to fix the engine later. I'll get to that. But he's just there for the peanuts and the pretzels, you know. So, like, as everybody's fighting, he just kind of hops over the bars, sits behind there and eating olives off a, off a butter knife, you know, and as everybody's getting their asses knocked off. And the way he just, I love how he pops up from behind Betty and knocks her out with the bottle. It's just bravo, total and bravo moment. It is one of those funny things, too, where it's like when Betty hits, hits Maurice, it's like just suddenly out of nowhere. It's like everyone's just like, bite. It's like one of those moments in like, I don't know, it's like a food fight scene in like a kid's film or something, you know what I mean? It's like one person throws one fucking spoonful of mashed potatoes in a kid's face, and then they're just like, like Yeah, it's like the scene in Animal House. Yeah, the moment she throws the punch, everyone just starts suddenly fighting each other for no fucking reason. (laughs) And then Prime... Yes. It it just pops up from, you know, I love when he pops up from behind Bayou Betty and just knocks her out with a bottle. Kind of slides out in that corner. I wouldn't say he corners Nora, but he kind of takes her aside and he's like, "Hey, I'll take you." You know, it's like for for a cut of the money. And I, you know, he's got some great negotiation skills. Again, I'm using air quotes here that you can't see. Great negotiator, both of them. But uh, the, I love the boat's name when she said, "I thought you said there would be no questions," and he's like, "Well, there's not." He's like, "But I lied." And then as they pull away, what's the name of the boat? No questions. Yeah. i I love that i love that kind of tongue-in-cheekiness to it you know again it was something i kind of expected you're going into a pg or a pg rated movie one of those weird play on words like i i don't know why this is a weird comparison but it reminds me of have you ever seen clubbed red yes yes yeah the birds and lizard movie yeah there's a character in it named you the (laughs) the cute asian looking girl that works in the kitchen and it took me up until like the third or fourth viewing before I finally caught on to the fact that her name was you. And there's a lot of like dialogue in it that's making fun of the fact that her name is you. And I'm like, oh my God, it's you. And, and then she'd like walk in. It's like a lot of weird, like that kind of shit, which is like reminds me of the shit with the no, the no questions name of the yeah. boat. If you've seen the uh, Slumber Party Massacre remake, there's like. No, I haven't. I still am not seeing that. There's two male characters named Guy, and there's a lot of <laughs> funny uh, dialogue, gymnastics <laughs> at different points in the movie where it's Guy 1 and Guy 2, but then, like, it causes a lot of confusion because you can just call yeah. it Guy 2. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the fact that the folks <laughs> no questions was, was very, very clever. 
and that, his boat it, it's pretty much the 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 river boat of the the millennium falcon of li- river boats it'll get you where you need to go but it's it's a hunk of junk which is to be noted that you know I, harry fontana and spot were kind of you know low-key uh send-ups of han solo and r2d2 oh yeah without a doubt this movie borrows heavily from from star trek you know a lot from indiana jones a little bit from terminator even though it predated uh robocop it's cast you know there's the robocop overtones and it, it does have the terminator connection what's the terminator connection charnitsky oh wait that's right from term he was in terminator 2 wasn't he terminator 2 i believe yeah. it was when he's who arnie gets his jacket and glasses from isn't he He's the one he gets his glasses from. He gets his jacket from the biker, but he's the the bartender. He gets the shotgun and the glasses from Shrum. That's right. Yeah, yeah you're right. Big I totally forgot about that. The biggest moment in Chernitsky's career, technically. So he'd be but, directed by James Cameron and Peter Minuyan. So. But uh, we got a riverboat chase. Betty gives chase because she's not going to take this lying down. She's got the best uh, best boat on the river. So she gives chase. And I, this is the point where I'm not sure, like, if it was meant to be done this way. But, like, Andrew Prine as Harry Fontana has got some very questionable uh, driving skills on the river. They're questionable at best. He just kind of slaloms back and forth from left to right back and forth creating waves and when he throws that tuck that uh drum out the back and shoots it he's like what are you doing i don't know i saw this in a movie once but it works <laughs> it, yeah. it works i mean it, it it creates the diversion but his his driving skills are questionable very questionable well, makes wonder, like, do you just normally drive around like that in a you know with a giant drum of like flammable material <laughs> yeah you just go around with a five gallon drum of like on kerosene just yeah, I mean, can you imagine driving around in, in your car with something like that just like in your trunk or something like <laughs> makes no sense i don't know <laughs> like maybe it does i don't know i'm not a, i'm yeah. not a i'm not a a boat captain or a fucking no, maybe it was captain. just extra fuel you know who yeah. knows yeah, who knows? Who knows what he would need in the the cutthroat world of river guides? Because the the world of river guiding in this in this movie is like some cutthroat shit. They're all trying to literally just like blow each other's boats up and trying to beat the crap out of each other just to get a job. So yes, yeah. things should really surprise me. Yeah, it, it, it it's it's craziness, it's craziness. But they don't get very far because you know he he's racing the engine harder than it needs to go. Nora tells him to slow it down because he's going to blow the engine. He doesn't listen to her. And what does he do? Blows the engine. Yeah. He blows the engine. And as they're trying to fix it, this is another scene where they, you know, he's, he straight up tells Nora, I'm not going to let you mess with my, the engine because you're a woman. And she's had every right to be fucking offended because, you know, like she's a scientist and, and, and not only that, but a badass genius. And cause what does she do? She ends up fixing the fucking engine where he fails. Cause you know, he does, he does manage to run cover when, uh, Bayou Betty 
shows back up and is uh, forcing him at gunpoint to give his <laughs> to give up his cargo to give up the people. And I love the line when she said when she says to him, "I'm going to count to five and he's like, "Well, that'll take all day." And I was just like, "That was bravo." It's funny too because Bayou Betty is probably one of those characters too that nowadays in our very PC kind of like world where everyone's offended you know and I, I could be reaching here i don't i don't think you could probably get away with a character like bayou betty because she is kind of low-key like very cliche butch lesbian mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah you so. probably couldn't get away with that today but it was 1986 and today is 2022 it's a different world out there I mean, she was a tougher tougher she was honestly kind of comparable to Nora. She was tougher than pretty much most of the other men in the movie. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, she did pretty well until they blew up her boat. And then yeah, she was right. swimming in the water getting yeah. snapped at by snapping turtles. When you're when you're living the life of the cutthroat life of riverboat guiding, uh, once you've lost your, your boat, you're pretty much fucked. So <laughs> yeah. story there, so... uh, This is the point. I'm not not sure if you're going to agree with me, but I had to make a note. I'm like, hey, Mandroid, why don't you make yourself useful instead of just sitting there? And then literally five seconds later, Mandroid makes himself useful by shooting, by switching around his arm and and shooting off a a rocket torpedo. And like that scene where I want to see that moment where it like came out of the the torpedo gun thing on his arm to like go into the water because you see him kind of like pointed there and then there's suddenly a shot of the thing going through the water. It's called they couldn't afford to do that shot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it works. It works good. And they get away because, you know, while uh, Fontana is running interference, uh, Nora gets the, the, the boat fixed because ha- she asks if he's got a bottle of, you know, any kind of alcohol. So he takes a snarf off the bottle. She pours it into the carburetor, some, does a little, you know, messing around under the hood there and gets the boat running and gets told by spot to do what shut up and drive so mm-hmm. you got it he does that and this is the point i think when we were talking about like uh where people like shrum probably the reason why he only lived to you know into the early 2000s was because he was doing stunts like this where he's like coming around on that fucking speedboat like he's a conniving little shit i shouldn't say little shit he's a big guy but mm-hmm. it works you know he's got his uh Oh, what's his sidekick's name? Luis? I think so, yeah. He's kind of a throwaway character. He, he's, he, I, I shouldn't say throwaway, way, but he is. A, he's just a throwaway character. But, like, you know. It's like Bayou Betty's sidekick. It's like they're just like, they're just like the second banana. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is the point where I made in my notes. I'm like, you know, some Android tank action would be nice, but instead we get spot the fucking robot. <laughs> you know. But, uh, you know, he uh, gets some information, uh, you know, oh, Shrum is Ray, gets some information out of Bayou Betty and her sidekick and drops her back off into the water and leaves her there to presumably either A, drown or to swim to shore and con- continue with the, the riverboat, uh, you know, business. <laughs> but Ray shows up and complicates things a lot more after Andrew Prine, as uh, Fontana, drops off um, – you know, the Mandroid and Nora off. They decide they're, they're not going, you know, further ahead with him. They don't need him anymore. So they kind of 
they do kind of use him. I mean, not kind of, but they do straight up use him. You know, Nora and the Mandroid are just like, yeah, we don't need you anymore. We're not going to cut you in because he thinks they're going for Aztec gold. And they kind of lead him on. Not even kind of. They do lead him on. But I mean, same they thing, yeah. <laughs> they straight up lie. Yeah. Because, like, <laughs> but Ray shows up and complicates things a lot for uh, Fontana right before he gets a fire extinguisher blast to the face. And I kind of like that that bit that you know that Fontana gets the drop on him. It's, it's you know it's very tongue in cheek, but it's it's funny. It's funny stuff. Again, it's a very slapsticky sort of just like physical comedy kind of stuff where it's just like a it's more just like a gag than like a violent reaction. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like when uh, Reeves gets you know Ray comes back to give him the. Is get a little performance review from Reeves. Ray does, and he uh, Reeves uses that that I'm jump, jumping ahead here, but he kind of makes that like uh, I'm going to call it like the Tony Stark arm, <laughs> where he like shoots him full of blue electricity, which again, you know, an '80s trope that I just absolutely love. That blue animated crackles of lightning and electricity. It checks a box for me. That he can that he can control, <laughs> like right, yeah. That he can lift them off the ground. He can center it and grab them by the balls if he wanted to, which uh, I, I I I I liked it. I liked it. It was good stuff. Oh yeah, it but, makes no sense, but it looks cool and it's it's a funny quote unquote superpower. <laughs> yep, but then we get bye bye to the you know the prime does a little weird maneuver where he. Uh, Fakes that his boat is, I guess, supposed to be stalled or sinking, and he shoots it out of the way. It kind of slingshots it in a way with the, by cutting the line with a machete for Ray and his like red twin engine speedboat to run into the rocks, kind of send them flying through the air again, very A team style. Uh, I thought it, it was neat that they both landed in about one foot of water, you know. Hey. Yeah, they they totally didn't land in the actual like body of water. They landed <laughs> right. in the shore. <laughs> like they landed in the kiddie pool of water. Exactly. Uh, but this is the point where I wrote arg when they're they find the the dead animal which they think is a jaguar and they're talking about primitives. So this is literal primitives you're saying. But like mm-hmm. when the, when Spot bounces around using his antimatter generator and he lands on mandroid's shoulder and he's like what is he doing he's like i guess he likes you it's just arg arg <laughs> like, yeah, like i mean i don't i don't remember a mo- much before that where he was doing that and he's like why does he keep doing that and i'm like is he <laughs> like, <laughs> did he do he, it more than once yeah and you can tell he's just like clearly like mounted on the actor's shoulder somehow <laughs> yeah duct tape duct tape and soup Super glue, man. That's what they did. <laughs> I, I was imagining uh, like, could armature holding him up, but that probably was the approach too. <laughs> right, right. Nowadays they would just do it with somebody standing there at a green screen and outfit, and they would just green screen him out. That would be how they do it. But uh, Spot finds the wreckage site because, of course, he does. He's got to have some sort of usage, you know, use for him. So he finds the, the wreckage site. Mandroid is adamant that he doesn't want uh, Nora to investigate. He doesn't want to know anything about his past. He just wants to get to revenge on Reeves. And she she 
swims in through the tail of the the open tail of the plane, gets up into the cockpit because I didn't know that all planes were hollow like that. And mm-hmm. she finds a, it looks like a porno mag, skin magazine that's all waterlogged, and just happens to be a picture of his wife and kid. And she starts to get out of the the plane. Of course, there's some trouble. It starts to sink, and then a tree block, you know, fallen log blocks her way out. So who shows up in the nick of time? Harry Fontana. And hey, folks having a little trouble. And again, we get some great negotiation skills by mm-hmm. Fontana and Nora. He's like, I'll do it for a third of whatever you take. And she's like, great, great. Yeah. We'll do it. Gets gets him out, or she get he gets her out of the the sinking plane, and <laughs> it's just like great nego again, great negotiation. This is where we get our our PG rated disrobing, where we get a little bit of you know b- boobs in the white the the you know the wet white shirt and side boobs where everybody that's a man is in is looking from the mandroid to Harry Fontana, but you don't see anything because it's strictly PG, which is fine again. You, you know, get the, you, get the, you get the idea of it though. You can see the, the little wet t-shirt action going on. You just don't see anything full on. Yeah. And it, uh, this movie doesn't need it. It would have been, it would have been silly to have something like that in this movie. It, you know, this movie is already silly enough. Yeah. And I love just another great acting bit by Prine when Prine is sitting and when Fontana is sitting on his boat and Spot just kind of does this and then there's all of a sudden sitting next to him. He's like, what the hell is this thing? He's like, wait, I don't want to know. Don't tell me. I just don't want to know. That's it. Yeah, he's just like, go. he's just like, I'm going to go with the flow. And I, I have to say that at this point, I feel like, you know, and I'm probably reaching, I feel like it. Harry probably knew all along that they, they weren't really treasure hunting. That's maybe what he wanted to believe. But I think, I think as a character, he just, he wanted to be along for the adventure. I really do. I, 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 I do too. Really aware of the fact that there wasn't really anything. Cause at one point he's like, Oh, I'd even agreed to come for 10% instead of, instead of a third. You know, I think he just wanted to be along for the ride. <laughs> Cause he's like, he just he, wanted some adventure in his life. He likes adventure, you know, swashbuckling kind of nonsense. So he wanted to just kind of tag along and see where it went. And, and plus, I mean, he liked the pretty lady. So <laughs> like the pretty lady and probably was yeah. holding out some hope, hope there'd be some sort of riches to pilfer by the end of the. Yeah. And if anything, he could get that kiss. So <laughs> if he, he did get the kiss, and he got a bonus second kiss at the end. So not not, too, not a bad day for Harry. Not at all. The, what, okay, there, and there's, um, you know, I always have a, a what the fuck moment, you know, on the show that I always describe, and I'm blowing my load right here. This is my what the fuck moment. All of a sudden, they're traveling down the river, getting a little bit of an exhibition, exposition dump, and for no reason, Harry screams or yells, hang on, everybody. Hits the boat sideways, dumping the mandroid over the side, and then he just disappears in the water, and they think he's drowned and gone for good. What was he supposed to be swerving out of the way of? Did I miss something? Yeah, I I didn't really think much of that part. The the part that threw me off was I was like, okay, so the mandroid just fell overboard, but then they're just like, oh, fuck, he's dead. All right, I guess we got to push forward without him. (laughs) Like, like right. What made you think he just like falling in the water don't kill you? It's not like he went into the fucking the the motor or anything. He just fell over. 
like yeah. way, and they look way, for him for what 15 way, seconds did he, did he like sink like a freaking a weight or something like i it made that part made no sense to me but yeah the the swerve i, I don't know what he was swerving from <laughs> so yeah, i mean they could have done an insert of a log or a crocodile or again, you know, alligator yeah. something yeah i mean even when we watched when I watched it earlier, though, even the moment in the beginning when the mandroid was with uh, Takata, I think it was, and mm-hmm. Takata gets shot, I was like, wait a minute, how, like, when when, and how did he get shot? Like, it just seemed like it happened, and I didn't realize it happened, and he's just kind of, like, does this weird dying pose against the fence. And I was like, okay, well, we just roll with it. So, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what Santana was swerving from. I don't know why the mandroid just, like, they thought just magically drown for no fucking reason whatsoever but you just kind of go with it yep yep you just pull a fontana and roll with it right yep because let me tell you it's it's very much you just roll with it because later on and i'm gonna jump the gun here later on when the mandroid sacrifices himself to save them they're just like oh he's dead and then they just kind of go on and they're like yeah i'm gonna fuck him yeah yeah, there's there's a note i had at one point where it says uh like okay you know, it's like uh, when Reeves fucks up the mandroid. I'm jumping ahead here too. He's like, J- "John's our only hope." And 30 seconds later, they're just like, "Oh, they killed him." But wait, is he dead? Nope, he's not dead. Oh wait, now he is. Yeah, like it's he like, so he dies twice. Totally expendable. <laughs> like, uh, but but this is the the part though. I kind of I like a little bit because we get a little bit of Reeves. Again, we get a little bit of uh, Dr. Abbott Reeves, where he's now he's surgically enhanced because yeah, his face. Glory. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, his face looks different. Like he's been doing some work like th- since we last saw him. And he's surgically enhanced with a Tony Stark arm. We get that beautiful blue animated electricity that uh, the only. If there was only one thing that carried over from 80s cinema, I would want it to be that trope. I would just want, to, want it to be that. But when Ray shows up and gives him the bad news that, oh, they found, you know, they found the, the mandroid, but they lost him. And they Reeves is a motherfucker. He, like, tortures him by strangling him with electricity, raising him up into the ground, slamming him into the ground. And then that last shot to the balls that he gives him, this is like a little ball tap, is this excessive? You know, it's just like, did you have to do that? But what would we be if we didn't have an evil, evil <laughs> guy like Reeves to do some shit like that? Yeah, but <laughs> this is the point where I'm like, I they, they do kind of retcon this a little bit later on when the mandroid is, you know, he's still they're, they're big on saying how he's very much human. He's still very much human. So the mandroid now, you know, getting out of out of the river, out of the water at some other point in the river, far away from wherever Fontana and Nora are. So he's still human, but he's impervious to drowning. But they did say something later on that they had used. Oh, I forgot what the hell they they said they used. Um, they 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 meant they mentioned it. They mentioned it somehow where he says that, like I have some oxygen, you know, sensors or something like that that you know that he ha- had. I don't know. I I don't remember what it was, but it was just one of those like Fontaine's like, how'd you manage to breathe underwater for so long? Science mumbo jumbo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would have wrote it down, but it wouldn't have made, made, you know, meant anything. And then we get the, the silliest scene in the movie where Fontana is dragging the boat through the river by a rope. <laughs> that 
boat weighs a couple of tons. He's not going to be dragging it. Not with the, like, I, I love Prine. I love Prine as an actor, but he's got noodle arms. He doesn't, mm -hmm. he, he's not the rock. He's not he's Arnold. Not, yeah, he's not a tough guy. <laughs> yeah, he might be a tough guy, but he's not a muscle dude. You know, he's, he's not Stallone. He's not Arnold. You know, he's not the rock. It just seems s silly. But they had to have a reason for him to be in the water to get dragged under because now we get them to where Nora and Harry get legit kidnapped by real fucking Neanderthals that they figure are just there because Reeves is messing with the timeline like we were talking earlier. I guess that's, the, you know, we just have to, we just have to believe, you know, just like everything else in this movie, you just got to believe. Yeah. But uh, so now we get legit Neanderthals. They've kidnapped Nora. They kidnapped Harry. And now, folks, we're bringing you, we're about an hour into this movie, so we're nearing the third act. Now we got to have a ninja. Well, okie dokie then. We got ninjas and Neanderthals. It's okay, because, you know, why the fuck not? Because there's the people who wrote this, uh, Bilson and DeMaio, they just said, fuck it, we're going to give you a ninja and Neanderthals at the same fucking breath. Yeah, why not? Yeah, why not? I mean, fuck it. I mean, like, if, if I could write a movie and have the budget to do that, I would do that. So now we bring in Ninja, who we find out, like, what his his dad was Takata? Or was it yep. his grandfather? It was his dad, yeah. So I, 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 I do love the... Uh, it was something you pointed out. I think we might have talked about this off the air. But when, like, uh, Kuji gets brought in, uh, it's played by Conan Lee... He comes up to, to the mandroid, and the mandroid's like, you've been following me around or something? Like, or, or, or maybe he's like, he's, he's, or maybe Coogee himself was the one that said, I've been following you. Yeah, but, one of them said something to suggest that Coogee's been following the other one, and it's like, I don't remember anyone saying anything to suggest that they felt followed or that they were following, and there's been nothing shown to uh, display that. It's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, this was happening. And like, oh, randomly, boom, here you go. Um, here's a ninja. So-and-so <laughs> so -and -so had a son that apparently gives a shit. Guess what? He's in the plot. <laughs> yes. He is part of this Eliminator squad. Why? Because the writers said so. That's why. Because yeah. we, we needed Kung Fu. Yeah, we needed Kung Fu. Which, which apparently, apparently Don the Dragon Wilson almost had this role. So... <laughs> Oh, I would have loved to have seen Don the Dragon Wilson in this. I love Don the Dragon Wilson. Another another moment that might have actually helped this movie be more noted if the dragon had played Kuji, but he didn't. So uh, there's always so many different things like that that I think about. You know, yeah. casting differences that like who's could have, should have, and would have had these roles, and how different the things would have been. Yep, like makes me just want to see alternate cuts like that. <laughs> it's like if Dakota had actually hired Brad Pitt instead for um, Doctor Alien, you know. It's like, <laughs> oh, can you imagine somebody somewhere asking Brad Pitt on the red carpet, like, "Do you remember being in Doctor Alien?" <laughs> He's like, no, but I do remember that terrible movie I did. I was a teenage sex mutant. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <clears throat> But um, yeah, it's yeah. it's 
it would have been an interesting thing if Don had been in this, but it, it wasn't meant to be. So he never got, he's never gotten to work with Charles band yet. <laughs> yeah, so, they're, they're both still alive and kicking. It could happen. Yeah, but yeah. I, again, much like with Andrew Prine, you know, playing the, the Harry Fontana role instead of Tim Thomerson, I think Conan Lee does a great job as Coogee. He does. He does. He does a good job. And, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way, although it would still it was just something it would be would have been interesting to see. But speaking of interesting, the caveman sequence that we get where they're getting <laughs> when they're trying when Nora and Fontana are trying to <laughs> talk and to, I guess semi negotiate their way out of a quick death and probably to get out of being eaten by these uh, cavemen. It's so, it's downright obnoxious, but it's so mm. much fun. Like, I found myself actively out loud giggling throughout this entire scene. Like the bullet trick, like when he leans in and he, uh, Fontana gets his kiss from Nora and he's like, you know, kiss me before I do something stupid here. And he kicks a couple of bullets into her hands, you know, and tells him, tells her, throw him into the fire. Now, Awfully risky because one of those bullets could have got off and, and blew their head off. Yep. But it does it it does work. While awfully risky, it does work. And I love how she uh, says later on, she's like, you know, you realize those guys couldn't speak English. You could have just said, Nora, throw thrown those into the fire. He's like, yeah, but then I wouldn't have gotten my kiss. And you know, he thought he was going to die anyway, so he might as well have gone out and get a kiss. So can't be mad at him. You know, you can't, you, you just can't, you can't be mad at them. <laughs> but now our ragtag Motley crew, a group are all together for the first time, the full blown group of eliminators. And it's only an hour and seven minutes into this movie. So the eliminators have all been, you know, the Avengers assemble. Yeah. Yeah. Finally. <laughs> yeah. And this is the point I think of somewhere around here when they get all back together, when they fully address how Mandroid breathed underwater, he's like some oxygen sensors or something. But again, you know, science mumbo jumbo. But this is the point where I, like all of a sudden now, the Mandroid just has jet boots too that we can use as an outboard motor for the boat, yeah, for their like you, their little. Why would, uh, ever, why would you ever install those in him? Like yeah, <laughs> like they those before. Yeah, I don't know. Like they like, hey, we might have a point where our mandroid is going to need to use these as an offboard motor for, for a, you know, a fucking. Uh, Maybe if he was like on canoe. land, they would like make him fly or something, you know. But like they didn't have the money for that. So they're like, yeah. oh, maybe he could just stick his feet in and like, there'd be some kind of like blowers in his heels that'll make the boat go. But they, they also fuck up and they malfunction. He can't turn them off. And so he crashes the crashes their little boat. And I thought it was a nice touch that the only one that lands on their feet after they crash and everybody gets sent through the air is the ninja. He just leaps, does a spin flip and just lands perfectly on his feet while everybody else takes the hit. Yeah, he's a ninja. He's got grace. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, it's, it's fucking great. I love it. I rewound that. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, I don't want to make a note about this and be wrong, but I'm like, yep, he's the only one that lands on his feet. So, you know, again, <laughs> clapping for you, Fuji. Uh, <laughs> I love the next part where Fontana is going to walk off. He's done. He's through with this. He doesn't even know where he's walking. He's like, I'm going to head north or west or something like that and she's like you know nora follows him she's like eh, it's back the other way that you were just come 
you know, came from, you know, you know, Mr. Riverboat Guide. And uh, I love the line where she says to him, he was like, I just want to know. He's like, just be straight with me. He's like, she's like, pull up a log, Carrie. It's a long story. <laughs> it's just a fucking batshit crazy line. And I can't do it any justice, but like, pull up a log, Harry. It's a long story. God. But, then, but then we don't hear her tell anything either. Yeah, yeah. We just kind of. I, mean, I guess because I'd just be like regurgitating most of what we already know. But she could have told the stuff we didn't know. So she could have. That would have been a good point to explain how like Abbott was supposedly dead and now he's back as apparently the, the nefarious, you know, heavy that they have to defeat. But no. <laughs> nope doesn't doesn't say how they knew each other other than you know he stole her material and her studies you know could have maybe done that maybe had an exposition dump and learned a little bit more about the mandroid but nope we just all of a sudden we're why bother (laughs) yeah yeah we don't need to we're gonna move quickly along because yeah we're gonna find the mobile unit again and that's when we get a little bit of an exposition dump number three, which we don't really find out more of anything that we don't already know. But when Ray and Louise attack at this time, it's their third attack upon them. They're on three wheelers. And I remember those things being notorious for flipping. And I think, uh, I think, you know, in the, the midst of all the action of them getting chased around on these three wheelers, doesn't the one flip over and toss old Peter Shrum on the, like straight on the ground with no padding? Yeah, I believe so. And it, it just goes to show you, like he was all in for this movie, man. Cause like, like him more than anyone, I noticed doing so much that looked like him doing his own stunts and getting tossed around and falling to the ground and is really taking a beating. So like kudos to Charnitsky, man. Cause he like, he, he was given it. <laughs> like, yeah, because it looked like Shrum took one hell of a crash. Yeah, you know they they hooked the mandroid up to the you know the, the the tank treads again. They don't really use them that much before until he gets knocked over and, and the treads get like knocked sideways, and then he just abandons them. Yeah, he only gets to use it for like another minute or two, and then he gets like turned over. <laughs> and yeah. He has to just ditch them all together. I love too how when they first find him, he's like, "Here, wait." Well, I hid my mobile unit here, and it's like, you hid it behind what, dude? It's just, like, sitting behind, like, a couple, like, very thin twig-looking trees. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. It's sitting out, like, literally out in the open. There's nothing hiding it. <laughs> yeah, he just he just dismantled or uh, disengaged himself from it and left it there. He didn't do anything to hide it. But the big return to it, but like, has literally almost no payoff because it's almost immediately rendered useless again. I just wonder if maybe it just didn't work. It was kind of like the shark and jaws. It didn't work, so they just abandoned it. They're like, yeah, we're just going to just forget this stuff exists. Or it could have just been really expensive and or time-consuming, too, and maybe they just didn't have the time or budget to get more. You never yeah. know. Yeah, good point. Good point. And I think this is a point where I, I have to – mentioned again nora is a badass she didn't really you know she's fighting off some guys just like everybody else and she didn't really need the ninja's help the ninja stepped in to kind of like take out the last guy for her but she took out a couple of those guys herself with some pretty sweet moves i mean you know she was yar from fucking uh star trek the next generation she we all know she can handle herself yeah this is a very it's funny because like this is a very significant role for denise 
Crosby very pre-anything anyone primarily knows her for. So this is pre-Next Generation, pre-Pet Cemetery, like, like, and she's, she's great. She's great in this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, she's a total badass. I love her in this. But then we get the campfire scene where he, he has some, where the mandroid wants to be dismantled. Because he realizes all he's got left is to take out Reeves. He's basically somebody who's living for revenge, and he doesn't know what's going to be left when he gets that. And then uh, we get where Spot goes haywire. Like, and I at first I was like, "What the fuck's going on?" Until I realized that it's Reeves playing with him, and Reeves destroys this movie's R two D two by making him shoot out lasers everywhere, causing a ton of explosions. And then Spot goes completely haywire and blows the fuck up. So we have no more Spot. And again, I'm not mad about it. I didn't really like the Spot robot. It didn't do anything for me. Yeah, I, I didn't miss him once he was gone. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, and Reeves warns him. He warns them all as he shows up as like, a, you know, a hologram. And he's just like, you know, hey, I'm warning you the rest of y'all to turn back, but they don't listen. What do they do instead? They split up. Yeah, and because, you know, that's always a good thing. That's always a good idea when anybody ever splits up in a movie, whether it's a horror movie, a sci-fi action movie, it just doesn't make sense. But when they're 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 splitting up in Kuji and I think it's he's with Fontana and Nora while uh, the Mandroid is off on his own, they get into that tunnel. And he all of a sudden can leap, you know, they they get to the end of the tunnel, they can't stop the fan that's at the end, of, you know, if they try to get to go through, it's going to chop him up, and he just jumps between the blades like that in, in slow motion, so he's got the power to slow down time, kind of like the 10 second watch in Trancers, I guess? Yeah, it's kind of funny because uh, there's there's no way in hell any normal human being, even a ninja, would be able to jump through a through a moving fan and not get turned into hamburger meat so <laughs> but it's kooji you know i mean if, the, if there's anybody's going to have special powers it's going to be that boy <laughs> True. he's got he's got some moves and they would have come in handy a lot more often if they would have uh, used them but they don't really i mean they let him be a badass but uh you know they they, they didn't let him do much of that work but again Not since he was the same creators that did transfers so they they, they they were using kind of you know redoing some of their own ideas kind of like the slow motion with the 10 second watch you know the so it, it works it works but uh just i think the next note i have here that bears mentioning is why is it whenever somebody finds something whether it's a book a passage a piece of paper that's in latin they always got to read the latin and mm -hmm. no good ever comes from reading the fucking Latin. Not at all. Not at all. But it's kind of convenient that they find, you know, that Reeves, you know, basement of collectibles that he's gotten from all this, the time traveling that he had, you know, the Mandroid do by picking up weapons and stuff. But it's convenient that they find um, Reeves' declaration of, you know, of intent in Latin to rule the past of ancient Rome. And they figure out that basically... He wants to go back to the ancient time, ancient Roman times and rule like Caesar did and take over Caesar's version of Rome. Yeah, it's it's a very strange aim. <laughs> yeah. 
Like it's a very, it's very pointed and very just random feeling. Uh, that original, but very random. Like I, if I could go back in time and do anything, my the f- last thing that would come to mind would be like, oh, I could go to, you know, ancient Roman rule. <laughs> like that would never, I would never think of doing something that fun. Yeah. But whatever. You're not an that, evil scientist slash doctor like Reeves, though. I guess. Who's like hopped up on implants and skin grafts, hit buried <laughs> under tons of like ancient like centurion armor. <laughs> well, you, you know, it, he it was just his weird power flex, man. He had he had to he had to do it. He maybe he was a, a history buff, you know. <laughs> and he figured right, there's yeah. a time to rule. This is the time to do it. That's but, true. But again, no, this is why it feels like we're on that. season. This is why it feels like we're on season three out of a five season show right here. Yeah. Oh, but and, and and there's a double what the fuck moment that goes on here. One, Fontana goes back to take the golden crown off, and Fontana's sticky fingers does what sets off the alarm. So now everybody knows it's there. But then Mandroid is outside where the alarm is not going out, screaming at the top of his lungs like Reeves, I'm here for you. We're gonna take you out. You can't run anywhere. So he loses his element of surprise and is a dumb move. I mean, it's a re- really weird power move on the Mandroid's behalf. You know, it's just like, okay, you, now you've totally lost the element of surprise. Good move, Mandroid. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, just saying. Like, I'm not saying it makes me like this movie any less. But it's... It's just funny. I'm just going to leave it at that. I, I can't. I can't explain it. It's just. It just is. It just is. But. Uh, when they all get surrounded, at the end, when they're all like, at the compound that looks like they're getting ready to have a Mortal Kombat competition, and you know. Uh, Reeves is talking over the intercom, and he's like, "Prepare the Eon Disruptor, and he's gonna, he's gonna fuck up, you know, Mandroid." And this is where Coogee shows up, and he's a badass because they finally let him be. So they let him do a bunch of kung fu with him. Really, they didn't let him do a whole lot up until this point. Instead of looking very stoic and delivering some really cheesy dialogue but like how many times they're going to have him come up and pick up the mandroid slack and have him save the day it's at least <laughs> at least one more time you know he's yeah. going to do this but you know then again you know no it's now it's time to prepare, prepare to prepare to meet your maker and he shows up looking like tony stark mixed with the uh, a roman soldier high on pcp and yeah, Pretty, pretty like unhinged looking, honestly. Well, he's like de-aged. He's regressed in age now, you know, and he's all now those implants and skin grafts, man. They, they, they de-aged him like he's Indiana Jones or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. They de-aged him by at least thirty years because now he's got like the, the Tony Stark, even the Tony Stark goatee going on. Yeah. And he he fucks the mandroid up. He does. The mandroid just gets the shit one thought of him. And like, cause apparently this is almost like the another kind of Terminator riff. But this is also several years before the Termin- Terminator Two. 
you know, where the T-1000 shows up and shows the, the T-800, you know, what's up, that he's, you know, he's better than him, he's stronger than him, and he's more advanced than him. And he fucks them up. And, like, I think it's Nora that says, I'm like, oh, you know, John's our only hope. 30 seconds later, I literally w- watched it. It was like 35 seconds later. Oh, they killed John. Like, wait a minute. <laughs> I thought he was your only hope. What the fuck? And was it before this point or after this point that they that Reeves puts that that shrinking ball of energy that's going to squash all them to death? Like it's almost yeah. like a weird like force field thing that's like shrinking over them. Yeah, that that's going really really fast until it cuts into the close up and then it kind of moves really slow. Yeah. And the, but the the receding ball of energy, that constricting ball of energy, was really a neat idea too. Something that I I felt like they. They could have expounded upon a little bit more, but it was, you know, when you got people like this, got so many gizmos and so much, so many superpowers and whatnot, you can't spend too much time explaining it because this movie, again, if it, if it is a fault for anything is that it moves just a little bit too fast. Yeah, yeah, we have a big finale to get to, so there's no time to waste. <laughs> like, yeah, because John's our only hope, but wait, he's dead. Well, no, he's not dead. Wait, is he dead yet? No, but he's going to touch he's going to remove his his his, uh missile launcher arm his rocket launcher arm and touch the 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 force field with that fries him now it's just like and kuji just stands there goes he's dead and nobody bats an eye no it's just like yep he's dead okay move on we gotta defeat abbott like it's like no one's really phased by it I mean, I guess no one bats an eye really the only positive i guess that can be said is is like if you really give a shit like he died a hero's death. He died to like let like save their lives, but it, it means nothing to them from the way they react to it because they don't react. No, they don't. I mean, and th- their big thing is they they rush to the center of the compound. Everything gets summed up awfully damn quick here at the end. And again, it if if it's a fault for anything, it's for moving a little too fast. You know, they they try to get to where uh, Reeves is gonna time travel back you know to what, the 13 or 14 AD he's going to get back to the ancient roman times and it is kind of funny how they end up messing up his plans cuz they just like Nora gets into the system and she says something to the fact like oh he's already there he's about to land and fontana inadvertently saves a day by saying i knew i should have learned computer programming punches the keyboard sends him back to what was it like crash boom bang and he's all of a sudden back at 400 and some million years back into the the past 35 million bc which i'm no historian but i'm like is our planet actually that old (laughs) i don't know (laughs) and it it has it even states a an era because it says it's like the soul Selenium era or something like that. Silurian era. The Silurian era. And I'm like, it makes you, uh, like I didn't, it makes me want to like Google that and see if that was like an actual real time period in history that's on record. So. You know what? You know, I will do that before we. uh, It's. Yeah, do it. Because it's like, haha, Abbott. Abbott Reeves is the ruler of nothing, and then they just kind of like all like laugh, like "ha ha, we won success," and then it just 
ends. <laughs> and yeah, he is the ruler of nothing. I do love how he like raises his hands up to the sky and he, it, it, all there is is just lava and volcanoes and desolateness. And yeah, and he just screams. But tough luck, Reeves. That's what happens when you're a supervillain. You sometimes you pay the price. I you go did, back. It on, did it end on a freeze frame of them? I think it did. Yeah, it ends on a freeze frame and then it faded out and it was just like that's our our end. That's that's and it. And you get that pretty dope like final. It's not like a song, but like that end theme that was pretty pretty dope. I thought. Yeah, the music was pretty good. It was pretty a neat little song. I liked it. But I do have a bit of trivia for you. I, uh, I looked it up while we were... Hmm? Enlighten me. All right. The Silurian era, or the Silurian period, is a geologic period and system spanning 24.6 million years from the end of the Ordovician period at at least 443.8 million years ago. That wow. the beginning of the Maya period, which was 419.2 million years ago, it was the shortest period of the Paleozoic area. Yeah, I was that uh, right? So uh, they actually, you know, I, I, they actually had their their timeline right. That this is all. So someone read their Encyclopedia Britannica's back in 1985 when this was written <laughs> and got their info because they sure didn't look it up on the internets back back then. So yeah, in '86 there was no Wikipedia. No, not that I questioned the uh, the validity of uh, data from a script by Bilson and DeMeo, but uh, I don't know. Like I said, I'm no historian, but 435 million years ago BC seems like. A long time, but you know, whatever. Yeah, whatever. If you believe in such things. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, yeah, that is the end of our movie. Ends on that freeze frame, and we get that groovy Eliminators theme song. It's, it's pretty good. I like any movie that's got a neat little theme song at the beginning or the end of it. it it's, yeah. it's, it's, like you said, it's pretty dope. Yeah, the end theme is pretty, pretty sweet. It's got a pretty sweet beat to it. Yeah, yeah. I would love to have that on vinyl. I'm sure it probably doesn't exist anywhere, and if it does, it's probably outrageous to to pay for. But I would love yeah. to have it on vinyl. Email Charles Band and tell him you want <laughs> a vinyl release <laughs> of this. Maybe they'll do it. You never know. They did vinyls of uh, Puppet Master and Tourist Trap, so they might they might do and it one of these days. They, and they have done they have done the Empire era type stuff, like obviously Tourist Trap, and I know they've. I actually have the vinyl of Creepazoids, so they have done from back then. Sadly, though, I think if they did more, this would probably not be <laughs> the one they would do. But, so maybe if I just send him enough messages, he'll make me one just to shut me the fuck up. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> full moon movies, man. I wish that they would release actual soundtracks too, because they have such incredible music. But they're just, you know, they're not those movies, so they 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 don't. So, and, um, yeah, it is what it is. Like that weird period when Full Moon had Moonbeam Record or Moonstone Records back in the '90s, and they would every movie would end with a, a logo in the end credits saying "soundtrack available on Moonstone Records." Well, that was a lie because they didn't put every soundtrack out on disc. So. <laughs> I had a couple of them on audio cassette and CD, but I don't remember them. A lot of them being out, uh, out and available, especially not on vinyl. 
I had three or four cassettes, the Puppet Master 1 and 2, Meridian, Pit and the Pendulum, maybe one more, and then uh, a handful of Moonstone CDs like Netherworld and uh, Meridian. Uh, I think the one that I don't have was there was a Dr. Mordred Demonic Toys uh, double feature uh, soundtrack disc. Nice, I, nice. They did, they did soundtracks to a bunch of, a handful of random stuff back then. And they even, I remember being more miffed that Moonstone, instead of releasing a Dollman versus Demonic Toys feature film soundtrack, they released the original songs from the movie as a uh, new album from Quiet Riot, which I mean, I get the logic because it Quiet Riot. <laughs> um, right, right. There was no actual soundtrack. They just took the songs that Quiet Riot had produced and uh, along with a couple other newer tracks released a um, actual sound uh, and a, uh, an, an actual new album from Quiet Riot at the time, which was probably one of only, I think, maybe two releases that um, Moonbeam did that weren't actual soundtrack discs. So yeah, it's a good way of cross promoting, you know? Yeah. Just like, hey, we got we got an end with the guys at Quiet Riot. We'll just take their new album. I mean, that was a big end. So, I mean, you know, having, oh, yeah. getting Quiet Riot to basically do original music for that film, same as it was a big thing to get, like, you know... Uh, was it like uh, Ed, Edgar Winter, I think, to do original music for Netherworld? It was either Edgar Winter Group or it was somebody from Alice Cooper was involved with that as well. I think like getting like Blue Oyster Cult to do a bad channel. Yeah, oh, that was good. That's actually one of the ones that I actually still have the soundtrack for. That's one of the few that have survived the many moves that I've had over the last couple decades. That is an incredible soundtrack. Great soundtrack. <laughs> one of the best ones they've done. Uh, but maybe maybe one day we'll get a, a you know an Eliminator soundtrack. But probably not today. Probably not tomorrow. But we'll see. But anyway, we are at the end of our movie. It ends on that weird freeze frame after Reeves gets left on uh, Earth via 480 million BC or 430 million BC, whatever it was. And that is where we leave off with our gang of uh, eliminators, and um, we'll get all go ahead and get off into our final thoughts and ratings on this. And you know how we do things around here better than anybody as my most frequent guest. Uh, guests go first, uh, so final thoughts and a rating on a scale from one to ten, if you will. Yeah, you know, um, I I love this movie. It's a really fun movie. It's like like we've already said, it's never boring. It's very breakneck paced. Uh, it's, it's zany, it's weird, it's very lighthearted, kind of, kind of tongue in cheek. It's all mm -hmm. in, all in good fun. I mean, you could, you could really have, you know, other than maybe like covering your kid's eyes for the, you know, the wet t-shirt side boob moment. Like it's, it's a pretty, pretty playful, generally, uh, accessible movie for anyone. And it's unfortunate that it's not more popular or revered in the, empire library because it is a really entertaining movie uh andrew prine was a unique talent and i mean he always brought it to the, the guy didn't know how to 
phone it in. Like he always gave 200% and he always had fun doing it. And he's great in this movie. Harry Fontana is a great character. And Prine, Prine was a class act dude. Like he, he would come back to work for band almost 15 years later to do the um, Angus Westmore character for uh, Witch House 2 Blood Coven. And he's incredible in that too. So uh, with him, an early lead from Denise Crosby, she's great. Roy Daughtry says, for, for what little he's in the movie, he's a great villain. Uh, this, I think I said it off air with you, this movie feels very much like a comic book. It has a very sort of pulpy throwback vibe. It's one of a small handful of movies, I feel like, that very give me the impression of like a, a feeling like comic book material like this in Shrunken Heads. Well, don't they even have that line where he's, uh, I think, doesn't Fontana or, or somebody say this feels like a comic book? He does, yeah. He totally yeah. does. So it's it's a fun movie, honestly. And it was a it was a it came out during a really busy period for Empire. I mean, '86 was a packed year. They had Troll, Eliminators, Terror Vision, Rawhead Rex, Breeders. I mean, Crawl Space, Necropolis. From Beyond, these are all movies from 86, Alone, Dolls, Vicious Lips, Valet Girls, <laughs> Dream Maniac, Zombiethon. Like, 86 was bonkers. Yeah, it was booming. Empire, and I, I think that the problem with this movie was, it was, a, it was a fairly decent theatrical hit, too, I believe. It made almost, I want to say, five million. Thereabouts, four or five million at the box office. So it, it brought money in. Uh, I just think that it, it was a case of probably it, you know, it's more of just a kind of lighthearted sort of fantasy action thing. And it, I mean, how does a movie like this stack up against something, you know, like from beyond or troll or dolls, you know, say, so I think it kind of got an unfair shake to a degree, but it's damn fun, honestly. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's, I give the it, movie a lot of shit, uh, shit but I, I I love it for all the right reasons, you know. It's not a perfect movie. It doesn't make a lot of sense at points. There's a lot of gray area with the plot that they just don't, you know, give you anything. You know, but but they don't they don't care. It's it's never boring, and you know anything written by Bilson and DeMeo, uh, Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo was always like very great throwback stuff they did they wrote the original trancers and they i believe wrote the uh zone troopers for empire as well and that's a very pulpy kind of throwback feeling movie too um they were great i think this was a really solid movie and it's it is a prime example from the empire era of a movie that deserved sequels and unfortunately didn't didn't get it so, but for me, I mean, this movie, this movie's an eight. I'd go back and rewatch it anytime. It's super fun. I love it. Yeah, I I agree with everything you're saying. I, I it's got some great over the top acting by a lot of the characters. But like Denise Crosby and Andrew Prine are the two main reasons to show up for this. And Prine. But, uh, you know, but uh, the writing by Bilson and DeMeo, these are the same guys who brought us, like, The Flash, brought us, you know, 
the Rocketeer, you know, so they're they're really uh, rooted in comic book feelings, you know, and themes and, and you know, the the transfers world. I mean, my God, I mean, the, the I'll always have my hats off hats off to them just for creating creating transfers. And I think Eliminators, I think the time it came out was probably like you said, was probably just that that wrong time. It was just, you know, overlooked, you know, a lot of movies on the slate for 1986 and some of the ones you mentioned there between this one and Troll and, and Crawl Space and, and you know, fucking uh, all the other <laughs> movies. 86 had some of those that movies. came out that year. 86. Fire heavies that came out that year or so, you know. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I love this movie. I, I, is it a great movie? No, but it's a damn good movie, and it's just a lot of fun. It's hard to watch this movie and not have a good time with it. It's, you know, it's rated PG, so it is pretty safe for kids. And like I said, at the most, you get the the wet T-shirt kind of the scene and a little bit of side boob. So if you don't want your kids to see that, it's one sequence. Turn it off or fast forward it for 30 seconds and you'll get past it. There's not really a whole lot of bad language. The the effects is not or the effects are not really all that gross or or anything too goopy and nasty or gory. It's it's all very tongue-in-cheek. Like I said, it feels very comic bookish and very safe for kids. It's a it's a whole lot of Star Wars, a whole lot of Indiana Jones, a, a little bit uh healthy dose of uh pre-Robocop stuff. And a little bit of Terminator, and that's what you got. You got the uh, Eliminators, plus then you got Ninjas and Neanderthals. So if that is, is not enough for you folks at home, your fellow Cinema Degeneration fans, if that's not enough for you at home to want to seek this movie out and see it, I, I don't know how else to sell it to you. We got robots, got science fiction, got time travel, got ninjas, got smugglers, riverboat uh, guides, got ninjas, Neanderthals, you know, throwbacks to the gladiator times what else could you possibly want it's got a little bit of everything but uh i'm gonna give it a seven and a half i'm coming in just a hair hair less than you i can't quite give it a full-blown eight i think if, if it had been if it had been explained a little bit more in those exposition dumps that they had about the past of uh you know reeves and and nora and whatnot and maybe what a Maybe cut back just a little bit on uh, Spot the Robot. I've probably given it an eight, maybe even an eight and a half. Yeah. But that being said, I think we can stick a pin in this one for the evening. I want to thank you again. I know it's been a little while since we recorded. I've been a little light on recording here lately, but uh, trying to get through the holidays and get through. Uh, I had an illness here just not too long ago that I was getting through. I had a flu that was reoccurring for a couple of weeks, so I wasn't able to hardly speak, let alone uh, keep keep focused to even think about doing the show. But I'm back at it now, so we'll start recording here again on a more regular basis. But I want to thank you for taking the time out of your schedule for a middle-of-the-week show here. Appreciate it. Absolutely. No problem. This one was uh, a welcome return. So... <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, this was a fun one. I was glad to, I was glad that we decided to uh, go back a little bit old school and take one from the uh, from the Empire Library. We've been, you know, dipping into the you know the Paramount days quite a bit and to, into a lot of the new era, the recent era type stuff. But we have rarely dived into Empire, and I think we're going to have to do a few more of these, which I'm sure I will not have to twist your arm for. No, no, definitely not.
<laughs> well, again, Dustin, I want to thank you for coming on the show yet again. And folks at home, I want to thank you for listening. And if you want to support us, the best way you know how to do that is the way that you'd help help any of us independent uh, podcasters and artists rate our shows, review, just rate, review, subscribe, share our links, you know, cl- click on our links, get the traffic going up on them, you know, rate, review, subscribe, share, like our stuff. Maybe even if you're so inclined, uh, contact us at cinemadegeneration at gmail.com and, or contact us on the Facebook page. We're always quick to reply and maybe give us a suggestion of what do you want to hear our take on next. Uh, we're always happy to take requests. That being said, I want to thank you all once again, and you have been listening to Howling at the Full Moon here on Cinema Degeneration, where we have been reviewing and dissecting Eliminators from 1986. Thanks for listening, folks. Give me that bat rifle. Now I got you, you tin can son of a bitch. You got him, man! You got him! He ain't down yet!